Hello, hello. Welcome back to the CTO Studio. I, of course, am your host, Nikolai Walker, on the mic and in your ear, my favorite place to be. We are joined in studio today by two industry titans. First, we are going to hear from Tushar Dadlani, who is the engineering manager at Standard Cognition, and Krein Van Der Rot. Etienne, please take over and let's get started in talking about all things patents. Take it away. I'm intrigued by this must-have versus nice-to-have list. I wonder if we can collaborate now a little bit on when when is it nice to have a patent and when is it a must have. So I'll 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 grab a pen and you can rapid fire some ideas for me on on when is it nice to have one and when is it really important that you that you have one or two or 10. Do you want me to play some background music? Some some Dave Matthews band or I mean I, from from my personal experience it never really felt like it was a must have. It bordered on must have, but it was always a thing that would increase the valuation of the company. It's about posturing a bit, and uh, and so there was value in it. I, there definitely was, and I'm pretty sure that it helped us with fundraising and 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 finally getting acquired. But I don't. I am not a hundred percent convinced that those things wouldn't have happened without it. But that's just me. Yeah, I somewhat agree with. Uh crying on that it always feels like it's nice to have but in some ways it's like the social contract of security and safety right uh investing in your like authentication system early on and tls certs on your backend infrastructure early on might seem like a lot of work but once that's in place you kind of have that engine revving all the time and i feel that's a big part of the patent strategy as well. Once you have done a couple of patents, any new ideas, you can just keep that engine going and already budget for it. So it always feels like it's a nice to have, but you'd never know when it's, it's like protecting yourself, right? You always do, like it's a trade-off between speed and resources. And we kind of like started putting, and based on the space you are in, right? I think sometimes a bigger chunk of patents, a lot of them come in the devices space, like the closer you get to hardware and the more you want to kind of do stuff in hardware, I think there is a lot more patentability and uh, licensing things that happen in that domain because it's much harder to, like it's it's harder to understand, like you, you can't just run your own like MPEG decoder, for example, in on device you have to license it from an organization, right? So like video codecs, they're licensed, right? So, but they're also open source video codecs, but they don't do that good of a job. So it's, when it gets to like the algorithmic and hardware implementation of a lot of these things, I think that's where a lot of patent infringement can happen and you can get really badly screwed because recalling a software product or shutting down a software product is much more easier than doing a recall or shutting down a physical product. So I think when a lot of things come down to like physical products, there's a lot, it becomes more, it goes closer to the must have category. 
but if you are doing a lot of things in software they kind of are bordering the must have nice to have uh like line which in a way crying was Crying was inferring that you know they kind of borderline must have, but it felt like it wasn't quite getting to the must have column. Uh, Crying, can you recall any of your patents um, uh, where where maybe internally you refer to it as a game changer or some sort of critically wow, we're so happy we patented this or was it all seen as part of a patent portfolio strategy where the actual topic wasn't as important as the fact that it was an awarded patent that could go into the pile of patents because you were a hybrid co- you were a hybrid company you were software and hardware uh, uh, at some point that's right yeah yeah i was software and hardware um and uh, I mean, that actually made patenting things easier because software patents are are notoriously hard to enforce. And, you know, in, in recent years, they that's, that's become harder because, you know, you can make anything up in software. And so it's it's uh, it's a bit of a free for all there. Um, we I, I don't remember any particular patent being like, yeah, this is the game changer. Ultimately, you know, the company got acquired and, you know, our. 40 somewhat patents were, were part of that package. Um, uh, so from that perspective, they were, they turned out to be somewhat valuable. Um, I, you know, I think, I I think there are two scenarios where, where you, 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 you really do want to have them. One is, you know, once you get successful and big enough that you want to protect your company, your IP, uh, and evaluation of your company, Right. So at that point, it becomes kind of like an insurance policy that that where coverage kind of grows with every new patent you get. And you feel a little more secure and people who might want to buy your company also get the warm and fuzzies and it makes everything go easier. Right. Uh, so there's that. And the other case would be if you're if you're really like doing fundamental R&D and you have a unique idea and, and, and it's, it's technology that can be developed at some point by you or somebody else. And, and it's, it's so brilliant that, that you can get a broad patent on it. And, and that thing itself becomes worth a lot of money. The, the problem with that is that you know, it's really hard to know what is going to go that way. Uh, because, you know, by definition, that's very early stage and it may never come to fruition and it, it may just end up being a nice piece of paper. And, uh, you know, if you go for the plaque that hangs on the wall, you get that out of it. But if nobody ends up, you know, if the world doesn't follow you on the path to that being, you know, super useful and valuable uh, technology, then it will never be anything more than a plaque, right? If you don't end up going public or getting acquired with that idea or, or whatever, then in hindsight, it obviously wasn't super valuable and necessary. So it's kind of hard to tell upfront, you know, whether or not it's a nice to have or a must have. You really find out afterwards. It does seem like a bit of a superfluous vanity exercise. Um 
the a couple questions that I have is have you been on the receiving end of a patent infringement uh where someone tries to come after you what in as much as you can can you tell us about that either of you yeah this uh, I do have experience with that it, that that happened um and um uh so the one time it was an actual like infringement and we we took you know the, uh, the, the nice thing about patents is they're public right so if you need to get yourself out of infringement of a patent the roadmap is right there you just read what the patent claims and then you just make sure you don't do exactly that thing so that's what we did we we this was actually a massive project we took we took the entire engineering and product team probably offline for like four months to focus on getting ourselves out of patent infringement before the legal deadline. Um, and we, we created enough like, like hoops and, and, uh, and, and, and loopholes to, to squeeze ourselves out of that patent infringement. Um, so that was, uh, I mean, in hindsight, it was kind of fun because we had, we by then we were a large enough product development organization that we were working normally we were working on way too many things at the same time and it's kind of fun uh you know to occasionally all fight fight a righteous battle together right so that's what it felt like um you know i i miss i miss those days we there was that there was there, there was you know a, a patent infringement case that was like that um when we got ddosed uh, DDoS ransomed was like that. And then when we had a bug in a new generation of devices and we DDoSed ourselves, that one was a little hard because we did it to ourselves, but, but the fights were fun. Um, so, so yeah, we, we basically just looked at the, the patent claims line by line, worked with attorneys to say, well, what if we did this? What if we did that? Would that invalidate it? What if we tried this other thing? We created a roadmap and then just got the whole team to, uh, to, to, to work on, you know, uh, making the system changes, which were, which were pretty extensive uh, because of the broadness of the claim. And it was very much, um, it, this wasn't like a troll. This was very much in our, you know, in our space and, and very, very broad. So we, we had to do quite some work to get out of it, but, uh, but it kept us from uh, from having to stop selling our products. That was that was the threat. Was you know, do you want to keep selling your products? Yes or no? Or at least that's what it felt like to us. Uh, so it was a real burning platform. Um, and then another time we um, we had a troll and uh, we scared it off. Uh, uh, we we scared it off with our our. Um, um, we, what did we do? I, I wasn't too involved with that, but you know, it was one of those nonsense claims and we didn't have to do much. We, we basically showed that we had a security system and the neighbors didn't. So they went to go, you know, uh, wiggle the neighbor's door instead. Um, we didn't point them at the neighbors, but it was clear that we weren't going to just like roll over and let them do whatever. Uh, so they went away. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the problem with trolls is that, you know, a normal defense usually doesn't work 
right? If you have your own patents and a competitor comes and claims you infringe on them, you can really, you can just give them all your patents and say, well, you infringe on all of these. And then they look at that and go like, well, now I have to go through 40 patents with those attorneys. That's going to be really expensive. I don't want to do that. A troll, they don't, they don't really have any patents that, that, that you, you know, like you could throw patents at them and they're like, well, we don't have any products. So we don't, we, by definition, we can't infringe on your patent. So who cares, right? Uh, it, that, that's the annoying part of trolls. Yeah, and, and it, so it just brings me back to if I consider the viability of my company's future as CTO and I want us to be successful for a long time. I want to build the moat around us. Um, there is the competitive side, which is just row harder, faster, longer, and get more customers, do more branding, more sales and marketing, get out there. But then there's also the, well, let me take a look at what's under the hood of what we've built, and maybe I can pluralize what we've done um, as a as 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 a maybe a, maybe an idealistic view um, you know can I carve out a service based on the overall product that I've built as a new revenue stream um, do I have intellectual property that can be converted into a its own service or its own product patenting clearly to me sounds like a this nebulous world of, I don't know, just up is down and down is up and no one really knows what's going on. Is there, is there a way to protect your intellectual property that does not include patenting? I guess secrecy. Well, yeah, I mean, patent is the opposite of secrecy, right? Cause you're putting your inventions out there for the world to see, uh, but but it but it does give you the right to you know uh, sue people if they um, uh, if they infringe. I I think you know at, at a certain stage you probably want to have like a few patents just to check those boxes and not look unprepared. So at least do that. But in terms of protecting your intellectual property, making sure that your GitHub account is properly locked down and that if CodeCov has a leak, you jump on it and you rotate all your application secrets and you make sure that you, you know, try to prevent stuff like that in the first place. Like if you're a software company and you're like all the other software companies out there and you're using all these SaaS products to make your developers happy, that's probably where your risk is these days is that all these tools that they use to analyze your code uh, or do whatever, like that's you're you're sharing your intellectual property with a company, and you got to wonder can I can I trust them, right? And I know it's not in vogue to do things on premise, but we had most of our stuff on premise at Graycall, and I got to tell you, it gave me a great sense of security that my own IT department who I could call up was there, and they they took that that protection job very seriously. Well, we're outsourcing that to, to all these like 
cool startups now nowadays and you you see what could happen right so i think that's that's a bigger risk is your your code just being out there uh you know your aws keys being out there um or you know like i said earlier open source software uh you know licensing that has have crept in because one of your engineers copy pasted some code and 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 didn't check the license and now you know you have to hand your stuff to whoever finds out for free because that's how it works that i think those are better ways to protect your ip than patents and that's very interesting and what about so what did you mention code cov a code analysis tool that you can integrate with your uh, your uh, your CI, you know, in your CI tool chain. And they over the, the last weekend they had uh, there there was a, a, a supply chain attack. There one of the tools, the the bash uploader tool that that you can use from them, uh, it had been compromised. So everybody who automatically got updates from them got a compromised one and uh you know that would scan your code not to just see what your test coverage was but if there were you know aws keys or other secrets in there and then send it to a server somewhere so that those people could go into your infrastructure and mess around with it and that happened that is so yeah i that is so interesting to me because i remember the days when github first came out that the talk on the street was you're going to upload your code to a, another service. Are you crazy? I mean, it was really quiet in our seven CTO Slack on Monday. And I'm like, I know why everybody is trying to figure out whether they were hurt by this or not. It was like a ghost town. It was very quiet. I was, I was like, where is everybody? <laughs> They were all talking to their DevOps uh, people. <laughs> and I also heard, uh, I mean, I didn't hear it technically, but someone, just to kind of go down the conspiracy theory route, someone said to me, I think Amazon lost a huge, what was the recent story a couple months back when Amazon, I think they lost a ma- was it the Pentagon or what did they, they lost a massive government contract to, I think, Google Cloud? It's probably Microsoft. Yes, it was Microsoft. You're right. I guess some of the speculation was that they didn't go with Amazon because your code isn't safe on AWS because Amazon looks at your code, which that sounds crazy to me. But I mean, your code is out there. I mean, it's, it's it's running on other data centers. I mean, I remember when code was on a floppy drive and you're like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to just stick this floppy drive into any machine. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a risk. I don't think, I don't think Amazon looks at your code personally. Uh, that's hard to believe. Um, but um, I mean, there are plenty of tools that will analyze your code and they do it in the cloud you know, uh, testing for code coverage, doing static analysis, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, th- those tools have to, they have to go look at your code. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's tricky. Tushar, do you think that it's important that our code not be, our code be safe? I don't know. I think you need to keep capturing the market. Like I'm a very like startup market first person. If you are, if you can keep selling value, 
to your customers you can handle a lot of these like blips in technology failure i think solving customer problems right like i think what amazon does really well is like this customer obsession piece which i think is a very important part but like not over obsess sometimes i think amazon over obsesses about their customers uh but yeah i think that idea that if you can keep generating revenue right you can afford the litigation right you can afford any like blips in your like anything that comes your way but if you're not able to capture the market you kind of start taking this uh like non zero sum approach or you take start taking the zero sum approach like where it is like whatever i gain is their loss right so that's kind of the perspective that patent trolls probably operate on is they didn't look at this so let me try to make some money out of it so that they lose money but if you believe to some extent in capitalism it's like a positive sum game approach right you do something better we do something better together we push humanity forward so that's sort of how i think of it I can't help but think that it's sort of at the the tallest trees catch the most wind situation like public events liquidity events acquisitions you know it's like okay let's go and deep pockets like oh geez they just raised a billion dollars you know I'm going to go dip my my toes in that honey pot yeah i think that's sort of how i it's it's the story that you will tell the judges or like if you get into litigation of any shape or form it's kind of your technology uniqueness arc the way i look at it is we uniquely build xyz over the last 7 8 10 years and it basically can be used like i can't just like it's hard to get trust that you are actually thinking about x at the same time as somebody else but when you patent it you have like a legally like i guess a legal milestone that at any point in the future when somebody comes asking questions to you you are like we did this at this point in time so whatever i am claiming in a litigation is probably true because i backed it's backed by a patent versus i'm just making a claim right like let's say crane and i had the same idea today and i patented and crane does not if we get into some like legal litigation at some future point in time like who is who will the court believe right so the person who has followed the legal process to put their stake in the ground that this is what we are doing versus somebody who's not put that stake in the ground and might have the same idea there is no there's nothing stopping from like in the it's like a half truth that the legal entity will like who which side will get the support even though you might have had, had the idea before me it doesn't matter in legal language and in legal transactions it will all come down to who actually patented it versus who had the who had the idea first 
So it's most about like who had the idea first is what you're trying to establish in the patent process, not necessarily is your idea unique or is your uh, idea. Yeah, that's kind of how I think of it. Yeah, it's 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 almost like the process of patenting could be more valuable than the actual outcome because you're forming relationships with attorneys that can guide you, lead you, especially if you trust them. Uh, they can probably be there with you as well, like Crian said, in the collaboration phase to kind of ward off potential issues in the future. So you're, you're arming yourself with information. Secondly, the patenting process in terms of documenting everything, uh, scanning for license vulnerabilities, all these things seem like good and prudent things to do regardless of whether you plan on filing a patent. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think definitely the, the process itself is valuable. You know, thinking about your thinking about what is valuable and important and unique about the technology or products that you've developed, I think is, it's a good exercise. And if you're working, you know, in a startup or even at like a, a, a growing organization, that's not really a startup anymore. You don't really get a chance to sit down and do that a whole lot. So, you know, part it's, 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 it's partly cathartic to do that. Um, and, and you probably get a lot of value out of that. Um, I think for for most companies, like if you get to the point where you have product market fit and you have success and your your revenue is growing, I you know you're the you have something to protect, so the patents you know could be useful in that. But if you if your goal is to get acquired or go public, then probably your growth is much more important, and the patents are more like window dressing. Right. Once you once your product actually sells, people are going to buy you for that success, not for the technology that that underlies it. I, that's what I personally believe. And and so most in most cases, that's. Uh, yeah, so I think in most cases, by, by the time a patent is valuable uh, or could be valuable, it's it, it's not the most valuable thing anymore. Um you know, and if I if I think about like when I perform due diligence on a company that is to be acquired, I don't really spend a whole lot of time on patents. Like people would call me in to find you know find the skeletons in the closet to find all the reasons not to do a deal, and looking at security and and the other aspects of IP protection. Like, have you been sloppy with your source code? Are there leaks somewhere? Uh, things like that are much easier targets than whether or not your patent is there or valuable. So I don't think I don't think it should be, you know, at the top of your at the top of mind and the top of your focus, uh, even even when you're close to getting acquired. I think there are more important things to worry about. Yeah, I think just to add a little bit to what Crying shared, and I think what again you were hinting towards. I think the process forces you to understand what is the prior art even in that space and what you might like, which company's patents you might be likely to infringe at a future date. Right. So it kind of forces, like it's kind of, you're doing your own technical due diligence against like legal uh, issues that you might run into in the future. Right. So if I try to, 
patent something related to a smartphone i'll probably run into apple samsung patents very aggressively so if i'm trying to build a new type of smartphone the first thing i will do is probably file a patent for that and i will learn that this is the technology space i can actually go into without infringing apple and samsung's patents or like i should stay away from these areas so it kind of helps you guide your like technology roadmap as well because you don't want to get to a point where okay i try to patent this i failed at patenting this specific thing because the prior art was specific to apple even though you might end up with the patent you might just be very in the neighboring patent almost to something that apple or samsung might have already done but then slowly you when you're thinking about your product you might not end up going down that product direction even though you might have a patent in that specific area because you realize that that's a very like patent heavy uh area so apple and samsung are very aggressively pursuing that strategy in the next 4 to 5 years so the likelihood of you even winning in that like like based on technology based on superior ideas is very like unlikely because a lot of the prior art that is coming out is from like the top tech companies in that specific area so i think it also forces you to do that process because otherwise if i'm coming up with a new idea at my company currently i'm not going to go and look what are the what are the patents in that area unless i say okay this is a unique idea in this space i want to patent it then we go through the whole prior art the law the legal process and then even if there is an infringement at a future date you've done all of that process before and you can just pull up all the documentation and say this is a good like next step towards solving this like legal challenge and you kind of have built this like sort of asset repository of legal protections and how to address legal challenges in the future so it's kind of your like wearing your legal hat as a cto uh, patents fall into i i think honestly i i think we're onto something uh, this is this to me is where we're starting to create gold because I love what you said to Shar about your own tech due diligence. You 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 follow these processes. So I I absolutely love what Crian said about where this would fit in your due diligence, uh, especially with acquisitions in terms of your your access authorizations, your code base, your leaks, your sloppiness. I love how there's it seems to be a progression for me. um in terms of really where we should focus the ctos and then i love what you say around asset repo in the in in the sense of your legal asset it's almost like a hiring funnel right you shouldn't be working on your hiring funnel when you need someone that should have been done months ago so that when you do need someone you can tap into that funnel and i guess with the patent process with all these different pitfalls along the way these are just to me ways in which ctos can shield their companies by actually subjecting themselves to this um i guess often utmost boring utmost frivolous process but i mean i've seen crime go through uh, audits and due diligence and boy when there's a lot of money at play there's a lot of risk there's a lot of reward uh everyone's looking at that due diligence process uh and everyone's nervous about the leaks and all that so i think this is this is a very interesting point to land on 
Okay, so we only have a few minutes left. So if you want to add something, let me know. But the, the final thing I wanted to just talk about is the crying. At the very beginning, you mentioned you helped your engineers with their own ideas for patents. And, and this is something that I've heard before where companies will, as a, as a benefit slash cultural thing, as an innovation incentive, come alongside their engineers and help them win patents. Yeah, and we did that so they would create patents for the company. That uh, usually, when you you know become an employee uh, of, of of an American corporation, you sign this thing that says that you'll all your inventions are theirs for that duration of that contract, right? So we would pay them a dollar for the patent uh, because you have to. I think they can't just give it to you. You have to buy it from them or something like that. But in, in our patent program, for every patent, there was a $2,000, I believe, award. And, uh, you know, the, the inventors would, would share that, right? So if you created a patent by yourself, you get two grand for creating that IP for the company, which I thought was pretty cool. But I think the, the most important thing for them was the pride, right? I have a few patents, and I'm, I'm happy that LinkedIn makes that a separate part of your profile. It looks cool. Um, and, and I know that engineers, it really grew their pride. Like, okay, I didn't just write software. I didn't just make a product for someone. I created a patent. Like, this is my intellectual property too. I'm an inventor. And, uh, and, and that part was really cool. So what we would do is, you know, every you know, month or two, we would meet as a committee and people, you know, we'd have a little simple template that people would fill out um, and, and could propose that we start exploring a patent into, you know, whatever area they were working in. And we would look at, you know, how does it fit in with our strategy? And then if we decided, yeah, let's go for it, we would sit and, and help them turn, you know, software designs or, you know, actually looking at code. And, and we would try to, you know, expand on it a bit and try to create claims out of it um, because it's, you know, there. once you've done a few patents, it becomes kind of easy. But it is there's a little bit of a learning curve of like the special kind of legalese that you need to you need to understand and the structure of a patent that you need to understand before you can write it. So we would we would help them with that pretty hands on. But it was their idea, right? So they would be the inventors. They would get the get the reward, but we just helped them do it, and and that's how we got the forty patents in five years or something. Um, you, you, it's really a team sport at that point. Yeah, that's brilliant. So, so I feel like the progression that I'm landing on in my head, and you're welcome to tell me that this is shit or this is great, is as far as shielding your company, there's access. And who has access to my code? Who is authorized to do what with my code, in my code, in my infrastructure? So maybe it's access to your infrastructure. The second thing I'm hearing is then your code scanning, dependencies, licenses, you know, and who has access to your code and which services have access to your code. And the third thing for me would then be the actual licensing. So um, where am I vulnerable in terms of 
open source tools that I'm using and libraries that I've incorporated into my um, code. And then maybe as a fourth thing or as sort of the top tier thing, you're starting to talk about um, um, patenting and sort of going sort of the legal the legal route. Does that does that sound so like a nice progression or does that does that sound like oh, I wasn't listening for the last two uh, two hours? I think they're the right items nowadays. Open source software usage should be at the top of your list, or you know that should be number one, because we we all use it everywhere, and that 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 I think is the biggest risk item that, that you definitely need to look at that because the, the the impact of you know having one piece of code with the wrong license in your code base is just astronomical. Um, that and and so that that should be at the top of your list. But other than that, those other things are probably more important than patents. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was a great conversation to hear from people who actually run a patent program. It actually sort of inspires me to think about what are the right incentive structures to set up in a organization to make sure teams can patent ideas and not necessarily just keep doing their job on a day-to-day basis and say like, oh yeah, I came up with something unique while I was working with this person at this company. And it was a great experience, especially as a manager. I think creating that right incentives so that people feel that they can patent stuff and they should patent stuff because it helps the company in the long run is definitely valuable because it's it gives you a sense of pride and sense of joy that I'm an inventor, as Krein put it. So, yeah. Yeah, I was kind of inspired by your 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 quote on three patents for ten thousand bucks with a with a law firm. Uh, you know, that's uh, I I'm gonna try and do that uh, next time because we we definitely spend much more than that. We could afford it, but uh, you know, most startups can't and shouldn't spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on on that. Thanks again for joining us here in the CTO studio, and thank you to our guests, Crying Vanderot and Tushar Badlani, Engineering Manager at Standard Cognition. Now, if you would please subscribe to the podcast available here in iTunes, go ahead and check out 7CTOs.com and check out both of these gentlemen's, these industry titans, LinkedIn pages. We will see you next week.